if I'm being honest, I, I, I put a little bit back on. Um, but hey, I'm still felt compared to what I was. Now, I did it for a number of reasons. I wanted to be healthier. I needed to be healthier. I wanted to be more active for my kids. Uh, when I started my journey, however, it was really, really intimidating. Uh, it was something that was really scary. And the issue there was my perspective. See, I was looking at it as a whole. I was looking at the fact that I needed to lose a ton of weight, and I looked at it as one big glob, so to speak, of what needed to go away. And the issue, like I said, was my perspective. I was intimidated by the fact that there was so much weight I was needed to lose. I was intimidated by the fact that I was going to have to change my life in such a drastic way. But what really happened and what, what really uh, turned the corner for me is when I looked at things step by step, I looked at things choice by choice, and I didn't look at it as the whole entire job that I had to do, but just the next thing that I had to do. I needed to make the next right choice. I needed to choose the next right meal, right? And as I did that, weight slowly started uh, to come off. Really quick at first, I lost like 12 pounds in my first week and 20 in the first two, and uh, things started to fall off, but it was the perspective that made all the difference. When I looked at it as this is the next thing that I have to do rather than look at how large this task is in front of me, I found success. Evangelism, a lot like my weight loss, can be really intimidating if we look at the job as a whole. Right? If we look at the task in front of us as a whole, we can become really intimidated by what it is that we're supposed to do. We can say, well, there's just such a large number of people that need to know about Jesus and we can also allow ourselves to uh, take a step back from that and say, look at how large this task is. Can I, me personally, really make a difference? So should I put my efforts towards that? Because with such a big task at hand, what I do really isn't going to make that big of a change. We have to understand that we need to change our perspective. That God didn't ask any of us to save the world all in one day. And that... There's value, there's value in, in saving just one. And that just focusing on one person at a time is well worth our time. See, a lot of us could say, hey, if I got to stand up in front of a multitude of people, if I was speaking to millions or hundreds of thousands or just thousands, then, then I could see the point in that. But one by one, that's just such a large task. And am I really going to make a difference? And can I... I ever cause change. Let's pray real quick before we get into the Word. God, today we're going to see that you value the one. That you look on the one individual and that that one individual that doesn't know you means everything to you. And that you're not looking for us to save the world in, in one giant sweep, but that you're having us share our faith day to day with people that we come across. God, help us to see the individual job in this task and not the task as a whole. Help us to find in your word truths that will be relevant to us and that will resonate with us and, and, and help us to be people who see the value in people like you see the value in people. Amen. We're going to be in Genesis 18 today. We're going to look at verses 23 through 33. That's at least where we are going to start. Now, this is a unique story that at first when you look, open up to it or you follow along the Bible app, you may say, how in the world does this pertain to evangelism? And I promise you that it does and that there's great lessons in here for us as people in dealing 
with sinners and other people that we come across in life. So in Genesis chapter 18, 23 through 33, this is what it says. It said, Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in this city? Will you sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? See, this is Abraham going to bat for the town of Sodom and Gomorrah. This is Abraham speaking to God when God is so angry with this group of people that have turned their back on him over and over again that his decision is, I'm going to destroy them. But Abraham comes and he reminds God of who God is and and even speaks to God about God's own character. It's a really unique passage in Scripture. It's something that I think we can all learn a lesson from. Abraham goes on to say in verse 25, Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? What a question to ask God. How many of you could say I'm comfortable asking God that type of question? I like it. You keep up the good work, okay? That that right there tells us we have a righteous soul. But I'm going to tell you, me personally, I am not ready to ask God questions like that. I'm not ready to talk to God and say, God, what are you doing? Like, do you really think that this is okay? You're not doing the right thing, God. Like, I, I can tell you now that that is one thing I will probably never, ever say to God. I'm too intimidated, too scared to do so. But Abraham talks to God about his character in this passage. He goes on uh, in 26, the Lord responds to him. And the Lord said, look, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again, a lot like a, lot like a kid does to a parent. And if you have children, you know all about this. They like to start the bargaining system with you, right? Well, hey, if I clean my whole room, then can we go, do, can we go bowling? Can we go see a movie? Can we go to Jump Mania? Yeah, if you clean your whole room, we'll do that. What if I just make my bed, right? Can we still go? And then if you agree to that, they're like, let's just say that I like maybe just throw the blanket on top of the bed because it's on the floor. Can we do it then? Abraham kind of starts this. and It's it's pretty funny. He goes on um, 27. Then Abraham spoke up again. uh, Sorry, where are we? 26. 27. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five people? And God responds, if I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. 29, once again, he spoke to him, well, what if there's only 40? What if only 40 are found there? And God says, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. And in verse 30, then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? He answered for 10, or he answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. Now, when the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. What do we learn from this about evangelism? What do we learn from this about our relationship with people who may not necessarily be in right relationship with God. First and foremost, we have to fight for people. We have to fight for people even if they aren't aware that they need it. We need to be praying for people. We need to be pushing people to make better choices. We need to be 
out there actively engaged with our friends and with our family and with our coworkers, trying to push them in the right directions, trying to be a positive support for them in life. See, Abraham knew that, hey, there's probably at least one or two, maybe 50, maybe 40 righteous people in this town. And, and, and for that, he didn't say, God, just spare the righteous. He said, God, will you spare the city? Knowing that the city still held non-righteous individuals. Knowing that the city still had sinful people inside of it. The funny thing we talked about, Abraham's reminding God of his character. It's so unique. Remember who you are. You are just. You wouldn't destroy the just with the wicked. Once he reminds God of his character, he goes to bat for people. I'm not saying that we have to remind God who he is, but sometimes in reminding God who he is, we're reminding God. We're reminding us who God is, right? God is the God who brought the Israelites out of Egypt and split the Red Sea and brought food out of nowhere and water out of a rock and I mean, we can just look at story after story of all the amazing things that God did. And sometimes, I think as people, we forget that. We forget that. And we look at our situations as, well, our situation is just so huge. Our situation is just too unbearable for God to do anything with. Or it's just impossible. How's God going to do anything with this? Because we forget what God has done for us in the past. He starts in 26 and he says, hey, if I can find 50 righteous people uh, will you at least spare them? Will you not destroy the city? Verse 28, what about 45, 29? What about 40? Verse 30, what if I can only find 30? 31, what if I can only find 20? Verse 32, what if I can only find 10? Now Abraham stops there. And if you study this passage and you break out a, a commentary or you, you just read it maybe in some different versions, uh, you see God kind of changes once he gets to 10. It's like that point as parents where you get fed up, right? Where it's like, hey, what if I just put the blanket on the bed? And you're like, fine. If you put the blanket on the bed, we'll talk about it. But you better not ask me one more thing, right? And your kid's like, okay. And they walk off. Like this is where Abraham is with God. This is what's taking place right here. He gets down to 10 and God's like, look, Abraham, if I find 10, I'll leave it alone. I won't destroy it. And like Abraham knew at that point, hey, I'm not pushing this down to five. I'm not going to ask if there's only one. He's like, all right, God, thanks, and goes home. And it's just a really, it's funny, but it's unique, and it also shows God as a parent. It shows God as a parent. But it also shows that God can be petitioned. And it shows us that people can be fought for and that they are worthy of being fought for. See, I think that if Abraham was really, really angering God and, and asking, hey, God, can you spare people if you find any, anything good in the city? That God would have had none of it. But if you ask me, I think God was kind of proud of Abraham. I think God looked at Abraham and said, now that's one of mine. That's one of mine fighting for people, fighting for creation. In this instance, it's almost as if Abraham catches on that he better not push it any farther. He shows us the importance of petitioning God on people's behalf. That's a huge part of evangelism. That's a huge part of evangelism. It's, it's asking God to make a way for us to share our faith with others. Right? We need to petition God on behalf of other people. We need to pray for other people. God, prepare their hearts. 
God, prepare their hearts for what I'm about to say. God, give me the opportunity to share with them. God, help them see the truth in these words. Let these words not be my words. Let these words be your words. Help them see that it doesn't matter about their past, but that it's their future that's what matters. We have to fight for people. We have to fight for people. Abraham petitioned God because he knew that God would work on behalf of the persons that he was dealing with. He was expectant of God's character. He was expectant of who God was. We need to be the same way. We need to be expectant of God. We need to know that God can work on the behalf of people. We know that God can respond to us. He can respond to our prayers and to our petitions and that we aren't going through the process of evangelism alone unless we choose to go through that process alone. But God should be an active participant. One of the things that this passage shows us and other passages shows us, and we'll, we'll get into those, is that we have to appreciate the few. We must appreciate the few. See, evangelism is blue-collar work. I honestly believe that. It's not easy. It's not for the weak of heart. It's not for the weak of mind. It's hard work. There's a lot of rejection. You get rejected a lot. We don't get a lot of, uh, a lot of opportunities where we're sharing our faith with multitudes of people. We talked about the importance of one-on-one, not looking at the big task, but seeing our day-to-day opportunities. The Earth's population, when I looked this up, was sitting at 7.7 billion people, only of which 220 claim to be Christians. There's a lot of people out there who need to know who Jesus is. Matthew 9, 37-38 says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. See, we have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of work to do, but the majority of our work is not done to the multitudes. The majority of our work is not done to the masses. It's done on a one-on-one basis. It's done through us building relationships with people that we come across. It's easy to be intimidated by the task laid before us. It's easy to say there's billions of people who don't know Christ. How am I going to make a difference in this giant pool? How am I, this little fish, going to make a difference in this giant ocean? And every time we have that point of view, every time we look at this task that way, we are making it infinitely harder on our brothers and sisters in Christ to do the same job that we were all called to do. We're supposed to share the task of evangelism. We're supposed to all be sharing our faith not leaving it up to just one person. Because what happens when we do that is we make the task that much more impossible. Right? If we just say, hey, it's the pastor's job, well, I get to speak to about 80, 60 to 100 people a week. And most of you that are in here today, I would say, are probably Christians. Right? So it's not like I'm getting great opportunities all the time. I'm not preaching every day. That'd be cool. I think, well, I think it'd be cool. We'll see. (laughs) But I don't have that opportunity every day. I'm not speaking to thousands of people. I'm not speaking to hundreds of thousands of people. And if it's just our individual jobs as pastors, we're we're never going to make any headway in the task that God has laid before us because he told us to go into all nations, right? Baptizing, making disciples among all the people. 7.7 billion. That's a lot. That's a lot. But the biggest issue, right? The biggest issue we have in evangelism is having the mindset that one isn't going to make a difference. That me sharing my faith with one person isn't going to make a difference. It's sinful. It's sinful. It underestimates God. It stands in direct opposition to Jesus' teachings. Because here's the thing. We must see people the way that God saw us. We must see people the way that God saw us. Luke 15, 3-7. Then Jesus told them this parable. 
Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. Then he calls all his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. You see, God chases the one. He wants the one. He'll leave all of us behind that he already has to go get the one. That doesn't mean that he doesn't care about us. That doesn't mean that at all. He sees the value in us, but he also knows that we are in his hand. And he's willing to chase down to let us be, to go after the one with everything he has. Do we see people that same way? Do we see people the same way? See, he loves us. He loves us, but for the one that he doesn't have, he will give the entirety of his focus. Do you see the value in the one? How about another parable? Continues on in the same chapter, Luke 15, 8-10. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. Think about it. You lose a $100 bill, you're tearing your house up to find that $100 bill, right? You're looking through laundry, you're removing seat cushions, you're flipping things over, you're checking with your kids. Did you take daddy's money? Did you take mommy's money? Have you seen it? Uh, then they send you on a wild goose chase down some. Well, I thought I saw it, but it was somewhere and you're like okay eventually you lose hope there but you're doing everything you can to find that hundred dollar bill and when you find it you're telling people dude you'll never believe what happened i lost a hundred bucks and i tore up that like i tore the house up my wife just cleaned it i tore it up looking for that hundred dollars she's mad at me but i found the money so hey right like you're telling everybody that you can right you lose a pet you have a cat you have a dog you lose that dog they run away you're posting on Leah's Lost and Found and you're getting all over Facebook and you're putting pictures on, if, do people still do that? You're putting pictures on light posts and everything else saying like, hey, here's my dog, here's the reward. Like you're doing everything that you can. When you find that dog, there's a celebration. You find that dog, there's a celebration and you're happy and you cannot wait to tell people that you found that dog or you found your money. Why don't we see people this way? Why don't we see people who are lost this way? Why don't we pursue them with everything that we have? Why don't we put our full energy behind bringing them into the family of God? Why don't we see them as the most important thing in our lives? You see, I think we would if we fully understood that this at some point is how God saw us. At some point, you were God's lost coin. At some point, you were God's lost sheep. And he was willing to give up everything. To leave behind, even if just for a moment, everything that he had to get a hold of you. Because he saw the value in you. He has other sheep. He has other coins. God will still be God whether or not you are in the fold or not. But yet, he's willing to do everything he can to have you. 
And again, I ask, why don't we see people that way? I'm not up here as perfect Paul. I, don't, I can fully admit that I have not seen people that way a lot in my life. I have not looked at people and given them the value that they were supposed to have in my life. But God wants me to, just like God wants you to. God wants us to make disciples of every person, sharing our faith, sharing our experiences, telling them who God is and what God can do for them. Are we going to see people with the same value that, that Jesus saw people? Are we going to see people with the same value that God sees people? That God still sees you? That God still sees us? At one point, God looked at us and said, there's a chance for this one I love who is lost to be found. And you were found and heaven rejoiced. You were found and heaven rejoiced. That's how valuable you are. That's how valuable everyone is. We as a church, we as people have to see that value in others. What if we saw people the way that God did? Let's pray. God, I come to you right now. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for the way that you've seen us. I thank you that you see us, people who are imperfect, people that sin, people that may be considered a disappointment in the eyes of others. And you say, I'll give everything I have. I, I, I will take my focus and fully put it on the one. Help us to be people who see the value in individuals, who see the value in building relationships with just one person, who see the value in sharing our faith with the just one person. See, it's a large task, evangelism is, and it can be scary. There's a lot of people out there that don't know you that need to know you. But God, if, if all of us would just focus on one, if 60 people would focus on one, that's 120. And then if those 120 focus on one, that's 240. And, and we can go through all the math, but it multiplies itself. And changes are made and the world is shaped by your love. But only if your people are willing to do the work. Help us to be people who are willing to do the work. Lay it on our hearts to share our faith. Don't let us live one more minute in comfort. God, make us uncomfortable. Move our feet. Open our mouths. Reach out our hands. We want to be vessels. We want to be a church that says the lost, that's what's most important. We ask for all these things in your Son's name. Amen.